0: reaching from way down here,
1: Welcome to Thread, a podcast designed to explore God's story and lead you into a full life in Christ.
0: Thank you for joining us in this conversation, co-hosted by myself, Hannah Souza, and Dr. David Pochter. Oh, I'm way
1: down here, I get a better view of this boundless world.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Thread. How are things over in Texas, Dave?
1: Great. I just got home. It's actually nice to have fall here. We are, it's only 80 degrees now instead of 100 degrees. So it's so (laughs) fantastic. I love it. No, I
0: don't, my confession is I don't understand Fahrenheit. So I know I've been here long enough. I should know. One day I'll learn. But I'm sure that, that Well, to be lovely. fair, I
1: lived in South Africa for four years and always had to do the math. I kept my <laughs> app in Fahrenheit the whole time I lived there because oh, I couldn't understand Celsius. Okay. That makes me feel better then.
0: <laughs> well, we yeah. are at episode 16 now. So I know we talked earlier about maybe doing an update for everyone, kind of where we're at in the thread world. So maybe I can hand that over to you, Dave.
1: Yeah. You know, part of the thing that is challenging about this is we're recording these episodes three months in advance before they drop. So I actually think we just had episode seven drop this weekend and we're recording episode 16. So we have to do that to stay three months ahead because there's a lot of content being created around this conversation, but that gives it difficulty for feedback. So people are telling us things now as they're starting to watch this and we're going, (laughs) oh, that's great. I wish we could have incorporated that feedback. Three Life months ago. <laughs> so, uh, but what's really neat is a lot of churches are starting to use the content. Some bigger churches, some smaller churches. And I know there's even a lot that want to come on next year and start using it. What a lot of people don't realize, Hannah, is that we have an app that goes with all of this. Yes. So people that find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or even YouTube may not know that they can go to the App Store and download the Thread podcast app. And that gives them all kinds of other content with uh, daily devotionals. We call it Daily Thread or Family Thread, which is family devotionals or small group conversation starters. So there's a lot of really neat things that come with the app. So if you haven't found the app yet, we would encourage you to go find it. We also, by the way, have some really fun updates coming in this next year with the app. So we're talking about Bible translations, and there's going to be other language translations and other Mm -hmm. cool features that are coming. So
0: Nice. So lots to look forward to. I think we even have some merch coming out, which will be fun.
1: We do have some merch coming out. I just saw two new shirt designs today that I can tell I'm getting old when the shirt designs. I'm like, wait, what's going on there? So (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, people are going to have to go to the app and see... I don't even know how they find the merch, but I'm sure there's a way to find it.
0: (laughs) We'll let you all know (laughs) when we know. Exactly. (laughs) Well, we are now in the middle of our series, God's People Birthed. So This is going to be our second episode on Jacob today. Um, Last week, we discussed Jacob's life as a paradigm for spiritual growth. And today, we're going to focus on his wrestling match with a divine being that takes place in Genesis 32. So some important reminders, I guess, from le- last episode, Jacob is, I know Dave, actually I had a question for you on this because you mentioned last okay. week that Jacob is the first story that we kind of pick up from birth and follow to death. And afterwards I thought, Hey, don't, don't, what about Isaac? I feel like we saw his birth and his death. So I was wondering if you could comment on that, what you meant by that phrase.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And we certainly do. The difference is the focus of the narrator, the narrator, and I probably should have been more clear about that. but when we see Isaac, Isaac's not the primary story. It's actually his life's often being told through the lens of Abraham's life, and he's not a main figure. So what, we ha- what happens when we get to Jacob is we kind of pick up the primary uh, narrative through Jacob. So what I probably should have said is, Jacob's the first person where the narrator really focuses on the development. Of his spiritual life in his story from birth to death. is probably a little bit more accurate.
0: Okay, that does make sense. <laughs> so, yes, Jacob's story is also one of the most complete narratives in the Bible that addresses kind of this ongoing tension and development of human desire, Yahweh's intent and will, and the painful but hopeful process of transformation. And those were things we discussed last week as well as the idea of Jacob's life and struggle with God being a typological model for the upcoming narrative of Israel, and as well as serving as a guide for our spiritual development as well, which makes him a particularly special character. And you also talked about Jacob's life as a model of the spiritual journey. Maybe you could touch on that quickly as a recap.
1: Yeah, and you know, when you bring up the typological model, I think just to to reprocess this, it's important to look at these things that are introduced in the scriptures that play a role in the story themselves, but then they play a further role. So when we say that his life is a typological model for Israel, what we see is this development that happens in Jacob's life will also have to happen with the community of Israel. So Jacob goes through it, then Israel has to go through it. That's what we mean by typological model and And that's true of his you know life as a journey, a model of journey. So Jesus actually uses that kind of lens by retelling the story with the prodigal and the the lost son, or I like to call it the prodigal God and the lost son. We talked about these kind of six stages of the journey and how that really is a model for the way we think about spiritual growth and development. so This plays out not just for Jacob, it plays out for Israel, it plays out for the prodigal's story uh, in Luke 15. So we talked about this last time, but independence or the need to leave home, the struggle with the idea of a rite of passage in our life, coming to a humility and recognition of God's presence. And we didn't talk much about transformation, that's where we're going to lean in today. And we talked about grace and reconciliation and the role that those play. So that kind of six-stage journey is one way to look at the spiritual journey. We'll look at others as the podcast progresses.
0: Great. We also talked last week about two forces that are at work in Jacob's life and spirituality. The first being um, Jacob being thrust into the world with an eros or passion that really characterizes him. And the second being Yahweh partnering with Jacob throughout his life to channel that eros and that passion.
1: Yeah. So from the very beginning of the Genesis story, we see God's intent and the way he created his creation, right? So he creates us with this ambition to engage the world and he intends to partner with us and how that develops. So we see that kind of co-regency or co-agency in our life. So that's a big, big thing that we keep seeing play out. Now, we're going to introduce a new concept today that is the hermeneutical lens. This is something that can be a little bit tricky maybe to get your head around, but, but we actually do it all the time. We just don't know that we're doing it. So, hermeneutic, when we talk about hermeneutics, at the very simplest definition of hermeneutic is interpretation, right? So, when we talk about hermeneutics, we're talking about how do we interpret something. And whenever we engage a story or a text or even an experience, we come at it with a specific lens. So how do we, in other words, how do we see and interpret what's happening? Okay. So maybe a a simple way of thinking about that would be when we, let's say we're hanging out with our family and I'm you know, I've got my daughters and my son-in-law and my granddaughters, and we're all together. We think about what happens in different ways. So let's say Eden, our little almost three-year-old granddaughter, she does something silly, but it's also kind of dangerous. And her sister starts laughing and all she sees is the comedic part, right? She, This is funny. This is entertaining. Maybe even there's other younger people that see that, but the older people have a different lens. The older people look at the potential danger. And even though she's funny, you see the danger. And I remember sometimes as a parent, when my kids would do something that was actually funny and made me laugh, but they had to be disciplined. I have to choose how am I interpreting what's (laughs) happening here, right? And I have to make choices of my interpretation. So that's a really simple everyday example. But we do that when we're reading the Bible. We pay attention to different things. And what we pay attention to is often driven by our own context. Mm. So there's, there's other podcasts out there that actually teach us how to put on, it's like putting on a pair of glasses. Okay, we're going to put on these glasses and we're going to look at the story through this particular lens. So one popular podcast that's been out there uh, for the last few years that a lot of people have been listening to in our circles is called the BEMA Podcast. And the hermeneutical lens in which that podcast is being discussed is one of an Eastern approach to narrative or the text or a way of looking at it. How would the Jews have interpreted the text? Hmm. And that's a that's a really great lens, right? Yeah. And we chose to do that too, right? Hannah, when we created this podcast, we created a lens in which we wanted to talk about. So we're trying to bring out the story and the spirituality of the story. So we're looking with a different lens. We're looking at the lens, not of the rules to the game, but the game itself and how we play the game. Hmm. So that would also apply to how we read stories in the Bible and and how that shapes what we're doing here. So we're looking at Jacob's story and you know, we could read Jacob's story with many different hermeneutical lenses. We could talk about the family dynamics at play and the dysfunction between Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the 12 sons and all the deceit and all the manipulation and the lies. You know, that could be one way we could tell the story, or we could look at this just historically, or we could look at this. I mean, we could look at Jacob's story through his shrewdness from a business standpoint. You know, how did Jacob... You know, build what he built through his own shrewdness. We could look at it morally. We could look at it culturally. I mean, what does it really mean that you had to work seven years for your wife's hand in marriage? And we could talk about the cultural pieces in there. But we're kind of, you know, in, in us choosing spirituality as a lens, when we get to this story, we start asking questions because of our hermeneutical lens of what's happening in this wrestling match. And what really stands out from the spiritual life? And we get to this idea of the spiritual struggle. So it's we could pick others. We're picking this because we are we have the lens of spirituality at the forefront. So anyway, does that make sense to you? I- <laughs> it does
0: make sense. <laughs> well, you're making okay. me realize the different lenses I can read scripture through just from my own context. Like I wrote my dissertation right. for my... Yeah, my literature degree on feminism and theology. So then you're looking at these stories with an idea of, oh, where are the women in the narrative and who wrote their story and which has all sorts of implications. <laughs> yeah, there's so many lenses yes. you can look through which are enlightening, but yeah, I think it's good to be aware of the lens that you're reading through. So So
1: that's such a great example. And you know, part of what we have to accept is that we all come with a default lens. Mm. So all the way back to our very first episode, we have a default lens even of God. So we view God a certain way. We bring that lens to the scriptures. We see the stories of the scriptures through the way we see God. So if we change the way we see God, it changes our lens. And that's also true of, you know, I was born in the United States of America and my cultural context shapes the way I engage the scriptures. So it's just, it's very important to be aware Mm. of that. It gives us a lot more insight. So. Great example, Hannah.
0: Thanks. Thank you. I'm trying.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to narrow in here on transformation now, this role of transformation. And we're going to look at this image of wrestling or struggle as integral to transformation. So this has been part of the story all along with Jacob, all the way back to the birth narrative itself. We see Jacob grabbing Esau's heel as they emerge from the womb. We see this wrestling or struggling or striving with Esau for the birthright. We see the deceit with his father for the blessing. We even see it, you know, when the story moves and he goes down to Padamaram to find a wife. And we also see it in this image of Jacob wrestling with this large stone so that he can impress his hopefully future wife, Rachel. We see him wrestling with his future father-in-law, Laban. So that's all in the backdrop of this story. What happens when we get to this story in Genesis 32 is that wrestling becomes more explicit. Now it becomes the center of the story. So when we look at the backdrop here and we get to this story, just as a reminder, Jacob is around 97 years old. Now, you know people ask, well, how do you know he was 97? We we see two texts that tell us the age of Jacob and we kind of try to interpret uh, and scholars have done that work, but Jacob died most likely around 147 years old, according to this story. Mm. And so when you kind of figure out where these, these play out, he's probably around 97 when this happens. So he, in the, again, in this backdrop, he knows he's going to face his brother Esau. He sends messengers ahead. When the messengers come back, he finds out that Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men. And he has a little bit of a panic attack.
0: I think I would as well. (laughs) As one does.
1: Yes. So he goes, okay, my brother who I deceived out of the birthright and the blessing now is wanting to come meet me with 400 men. So he splits his flocks and herds into two groups to minimize losses in case something bad happens. And then the story kind of makes this fascinating little shift and it kind of focuses in on this event in this one evening that turns into a nighttime battle. So in Genesis 32, we pick it up in verse 21. Hannah, you want to read that text for us?
0: Yeah. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp.
1: Hmm. Okay. So he sends the gifts himself away. He stays in the camp. But then the very next verse talks about another step towards his his more lonely state. Hmm. Uh, if you could read in verse 22 and 23.
0: That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions
1: Okay, so we know Jacob has two wives and mm-hmm. servants and these 11 sons and all these possessions which we talked a little bit about last time just how much he had. Mm. And he sends it all across the river. And so what we see is this moment where he's all by himself and he's and, and we don't entirely know why, right? We just see a shift in the narrative. Mm. There's something about being alone that's important to this narrative. So even though what we're going to see, even though he's surrounded by family, surrounded by a community, this event has to happen by himself. I came across this actually pretty old text by a scholar named F.B. Meyer, and he wrote a book called Israel, a Prince with God, the story of Jacob retold. And He made a really interesting observation and compared this kind of moment of aloneness, the spiritual moment with what happened in Gethsemane. And he just says, when the soul enters its Gethsemane, it withdraws a stone's cast from its most trusted friends. So I think there's, there's two sides of the spiritual life that we always have to be cognizant of. There's a communal piece, right? Where We always need to be with people and engage with people. That's the nature of spirituality. But there's also a part that no one can fight the battles for us. The struggles are our own and they're personal. Hmm.
0: You, you know, a feminist hermeneutical lens would probably look at the fact that he sent Leah on ahead, like his least favorite wife was first to meet the 400 men. And then his favorite was at the, was at the back. That's a different lens.
1: <laughs> it is a different lens, but <laughs> yeah. it's also a good observation, right? Yeah, that so stood out who to goes me. first into, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Hmm. You're, absolutely right absolutely right so let's read verse 24
0: so jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak
1: okay so so this is really interesting now he's left alone because he sent everything ahead Mm. this unidentified man engages jacob part of what's interesting about this is the ambiguity of this identity of this person and it, it allows us, I think, this kind of vast application of external forces that wrestle with us. The idea of wrestling or to rest is to take something away from you. And so when we think about this as a spiritual paradigm, we can think about all these things that engage us, that we don't choose to engage with, but they engage us, right? Mental or physical health struggles trauma that happens to us. As parents, sometimes we encounter things in our family, sometimes with our children that we weren't planning on that make it really difficult. Uh, sometimes our marriage doesn't turn out the way we want to. So we find this this idea of that there's something exterior to us that engages us to to struggle with. Mm. And this struggle now becomes inward. So even though it's physical, as we see this unfold, we see that there's much more happening here. There's there's questions that start coming up immediately. Like, wait a minute, a random stranger approaches you in the middle of nowhere and (laughs) you wrestle? And this is a wrestling match that's going to go on until daybreak? Wasn't Jacob 97? (laughs) Uh, I have friends that are wrestlers and I always, you know, I ask the question, So when you were wrestling in a wrestling match, what's the time period that you wrestle? It's six minutes, by the way, six minutes. Wow. So these, you know, collegiate athletes that are in the top shape of their life are in a wrestling match for six minutes. And they will tell you at the end of six minutes, they're completely exhausted. So, Mm. okay, now we've got an all-night wrestling match with a, a being... When you're 97 years old there's something weird going on here right and and not to mention that we will find out there's some kind of divineness or divinity to this being Mm. and this person can't overcome jacob what's that about right so yeah it is such
0: an interesting story i think it's also curious to me that it says a man wrestled with him and not jacob wrestled with a man So it seems not desired, perhaps, on Jacob's part, or maybe he's caught unawares um, in this
1: moment. Well, isn't that the way it works? You know, I was looking at different translations of this verse, and they all talk about this the same way, a man wrestled with him. Mm. He's not the one initiating. But my favorite translation of this was the NAB. It says, then some man wrestled (laughs) with him till the break of dawn. I love (laughs) that. Just some man shows up and wrestles with him. So this is an external force. This force does seek Jacob. Jacob wanted to be alone. He had sent everyone away, but now something's engaging him. That's not his choice. Mm. And I think that, you know, so that's, that's interesting. We need to think about that. And that's usually the way struggle happens. We don't just wake up one day and go, it's time for me to have a conversion of sorts. (laughs) I need to go through a period of transformation. I don't like you know, my character the way, or or I've done everything that I can, but I feel like I need more. And so I'm going to do something that's going to really transform. We don't do that. No.
0: Right? no only saints pray for so, struggles.
1: <laughs> big only saints pray. So, So that's interesting. The other thing that's interesting here is that the way that this being is portrayed in the beginning of the story is as a peer, another man. So this is being painted as a human-human interaction. So if this was Yahweh, this is either some, it feels like a deceitful trick or probably what's a better interpretation is it's divine restraint. Hmm. Jacob is engaging in a way where he believes he has a chance, (laughs) right? (laughs) So if this is God, which we find out later that this is divine being, God meets Jacob at Jacob's level and he holds him in this battle for far longer than it seems humanly possible. And it seems like an even battle, which of course we know if God was wrestling Jacob, Jacob would have no chance, but God keeps him fighting all night long. So that's interesting.
0: Hmm. I remember in, I think it was episode seven, light and darkness, when you spoke about God doing some of his best work in the dark. I love that phrase, but I wondered now that we're at this episode, if you have any more thoughts on why this battle took place at night.
1: Yeah, that is, I appreciate you connecting the dots to that. And that is, I think we even said when we did that episode, maybe I'm remembering this wrong. We'll get to when we talk about Jacob wrestling at night.
0: Mm. I think
1: there is something really significant about the night in the battle at night, and the aloneness, and the fact that you can't see what you—you know—it's disorienting, and you—you you can't see what you're fighting against. But I also think that it kind of illustrates that we're fighting or at war with our shadow self. Hmm. That there's something happening internal here, so these external forces actually become an internal spiritual battle. Hmm. And in almost every wrestling match that we find ourselves in, in our life there's external forces that ultimately are forcing us to deal with our internal selves mm. our shadow self and other things in us that need to be wrestled with hmm. so it's a great question when, um when you
0: say shadow self would could that be another phrase for like the flesh or the sinful nature yep. or yeah okay
1: yeah absolutely yeah so the sides of us that we prefer are not there The pieces that need to grow and transform. Mm. Absolutely. How about verse 25?
0: When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man.
1: Yeah, so after this all-night battle, we see that over time here, Jacob's opponent is going to wound him to gain the upper hand. So, the wound actually has a function. It shifts the power balance, but only enough to facilitate the outcome, Mm -hmm. right? There's a lot to think about there. So, this maneuver, if this is God's hand, this maneuver also demonstrates divine restraint, that God is going to bring about a wound that produces just enough pain, to transform. So when the time is right, I guess you could say or another way of thinking about this when the time is right, trauma is introduced and it isn't that the injury wasn't allowed per se but it was given by this man. So I think it you have to ask an important question here. Can God do harm or can God only heal? If God doesn't do us harm, then what appears to be harm is actually to heal. Or what we could even think about in, we read later in in Hebrews chapter 12, that discipline may seem unpleasant at the time or painful, but it actually produces something in us. Hmm. Right?
0: Yeah, I think it's a challenging concept, even what about hurts, and even use the word trauma, I think knowing what's, been permitted by God or what is just the sin of man? I'm sure that is something to navigate to. I don't know if you could speak to that at all
1: Yeah, so you know this is one of the great questions that people have struggled with for our existence. Mm. If God is good, why do bad things happen? Why cancer? Why a tragic accident? And so God allows free will at all costs. But then in these traumatic, horrible things that happen, God also works with us in transforming us internally when they happen.
0: Mm.
1: And it's just uncanny how often this becomes part of our life and people, and we'll get to this here as we move through the story. But when you're in it, when you're in the moment of this pain, of the struggle, of the the health challenge that's that's going to cost your life when these terrible things happen we don't see any good in them and it usually isn't until much later that we can understand the power that was at work mm. in helping it to become a blessing so we'll get to that i think even as this story unpacks
0: mm. yeah that is i think an ongoing thing to wrestle with in life but Actually, as you are speaking, it reminded me of when Job is able to say after everything's everything has happened to him, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I think it's Job mm. thirteen, fifteen. Even in that he's attributing some of his struggles or yeah, to, to God and yet also is able to still proclaim I'm gonna trust him anyway, which is really remarkable Yeah. To me.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a spiritual writer that has really inspired me from the 16th century. And he was imprisoned by, he was a reformer within the Catholic Church. Uh, his name was John of the Cross. And he was in imprisoned by his brethren uh-huh. for nine months and given very little to eat and drink in a, a small dark cell. He was brought out and publicly lashed by his brothers on a regular basis.
0: Mm.
1: And you know, you look at this and you go, this, this is just terrible terrible and he leaves and he writes this poem called the dark night but one of the things that he says about the woundedness he calls it the delightful wound oh delightful wound Hmm. and he talks about the wound is delightful because he knows that god works through these terrible experiences and he sees the spiritual side and god's love in the woundedness Hmm.
0: let's
1: go on to verse 16 Or sorry, 26. How about verse 26?
0: (laughs) Um, He says, Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me.
1: Yeah, so now we see, and this is where I said divine restraint, is the wound didn't come to be so much that Jacob lost his spirit. So we see his spirit still here in action. He remains passionate. He... Wants the blessing as an outcome, so this wound wasn't debilitating, but it was formative, as we will see. So Jacob, in his entire life up until now, he's been seeking blessing through attaining the family birthright and the blessing through his romantic interests, through financial security. But now he wants the blessing to come from the divine, <laughs> in God's self.
0: Yeah, it seems kind of demanding for Jacob to to make this statement. <laughs> I wonder, I think it speaks to the Eros that we've spoken about in Jacob, that passion. Maybe do you think God liked this kind of side of Jacob?
1: Well, I I think that's the beauty of the story that God doesn't condemn the ambition. Hmm. In fact, it becomes so implicit in his very character that Jacob starts out as the deceiver, but where this is going to go with his name and we're just going to have to wait just a couple verses to get to the actual name and what that means. But I think it's really important that God doesn't demean ambition or squelch it. So there's an interesting quote that I came across by C.S. Lewis that talks about this. He says, all desire, even introverted or corrupt desires, fundamentally desire for God, directed away from its true object. What God is trying to do is to train the ambition to be godly ambition. Hmm. And I do think that's a really important piece of the story, that it's, it's recognized and honored and blessed. Hmm. right? So we see it in this next verse. Let's talk about this in 27 and 28.
0: The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. I like that Jacob, who we know is the deceiver, does answer this question truthfully here, and <laughs> give his real name. Right, yeah. That's a good sign.
1: It is a good sign. Yeah, so from this story, we see that woundedness now is identity forming and it's permanent. So trauma, at least in this case, does not disappear the wound remains and is recognized and celebrated in, for Israel. So this trauma even becomes integrated into his new identity. So he's Jacob before the wound. He's Israel after. Mm-hmm. In other words, Israel only becomes Israel with the trauma. Mm. Right. Now, the nature of the name Israel even captures what's happening here. Israel means one who struggles with God and overcomes. And I think that's so important. We forget, right? The whole nature of Israel as a people, Israel as a person, and then Israel as a people was struggle. Mm. That That's part of our formation. The text goes on to say, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. So, We have to remember there is no Israel without the limp. How about verses 29 and 30? It's
0: a great phrase. (laughs) There is no Israel without the limp. So verse 29 says, Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared.
1: Yeah, so as the battle winds down, Jacob wants to make sense of it. He wants to name his opponent. This interaction reveals two really important questions at the heart of our spiritual struggle, right? Number one, who are we wrestling with? And I think, secondly, was it done in love or animosity? So Jacob recognizes this is not a human-human engagement. In humility, he also realizes he has no business coming through the night alive with This encounter with a divine being. And so I actually think that knowing that God is the sparring partner brings great security for us.
0: Hmm. I wonder if you could speak a little bit more about why knowing God is behind a wrestle can produce that security. So I think it could also be a challenging concept, too, for those of us that want to see God as this loving, all protecting father figure but knowing he's also the rest Well, I think too.
1: that's a, yeah, I think that's it though. As you just said, that God is a loving, protective father. And that means that he will discipline us, that he will shape us, but it's done in love and for love, not in frustration and because of God's limited patience. Hmm. There's a huge difference there, right? So if we can trust that God has engaged us in battle in love, it gives us confidence to ask for the blessing. Hmm. So we see Jacob, given what he asked for so when we think about these things you know in hindsight it's always much easier to see the hand of god you know we go through these terrible times and as i said just a little bit ago we don't realize that we're wrestling with ourselves or with god in these things and then in hindsight we look back and we go whoa god was all over this and we are grateful. And how many people have, have you heard? I mean, I've heard so many people say after they've had a battle with cancer or a terrible accident or something that tragic that happened, that when they get through that and they work through it, they go, wow, it really made me who I am. Yeah. You know, It's really important. Yeah. So let's look at this verse 31 and 32 as we wrap up this story.
0: So the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon.
1: Yeah, this is what I was saying earlier, that the wound actually becomes identity-forming for him. So this wound or this trauma becomes not just part of him, it becomes part of his story, and it becomes part of the narrative of Israel. So his offspring from here on out would honor the wound which I do also think is instructive. We think about that with Jesus too, right? We honor the wound. The, the woundedness is what brought redemption for us, salvation for us. And so when we we could say without the wound, there is no Israel, we can certainly say that about our Christian faith as well. So before the wound, Jacob, after the wound, Israel, I think when we think about authentic faith in religion, if it's really authentic, it will always come with a limp. Authentic faith will always come with a limp.
0: Hmm. When I think about what that might look like for us uh, as individuals or even in our churches uh, to display that kind of authentic faith with a limp, what do you think that might look like? Because I think sometimes we can want to give a a confident front, a security. I think in that episode seven that I connected to, we talked about the overemphasis on the light or that kind of even toxic positivity <laughs> that could be present in Christianity. Mm, so, yeah, what do you think? Such a great question. Yeah.
1: Well, our, I think we all have to accept our struggles shape us. So, our faithfulness to God and and what that journey means will always carry with it some really difficult things and traumas and experiences. And I, I think this is sometimes where people, th- and this is a difficult thing to engage in because I know people are in very different places with even how they view their faith community. I've been asked sometimes, I think you and I were talking about this even offline before we got on today. Mm. Sometimes people ask, why do you stay in a community where sometimes you feel hurt or wounded mm. or traumatized in some way? And, you know, when I look at my 33 years in the faith community that I'm part of, there have been some absolutely amazing things. And there have been some really unfortunate traumatic things Mm. that have happened to me. And I look and I go, okay, now I go, they've shaped me. The good ones have shaped me. The bad ones have shaped me. And that's true of everything in my education experience, in my family life. in you know, so you're right authenticity has to come with an honesty about the woundedness but those scars those wounds those limps are divinely inspired in many cases and i'm not saying that makes an excuse for i know sometimes people hear mm. you know does that mean you're excusing people that have been the agent of of terrible things that have happened in the name of god absolutely not any more than i'm saying cancer Is good or, I mean, absolutely not. I'm not justifying that in any way, shape, or form. I am saying that when we do work internally and allow God to shape us, that they can be transformative for us. Hmm. So it's a big difference. Hmm. So I think the question has to be asked how does wrestling facilitate transformation? So, really, that's what's at play here, right? Wrestling is facilitating a transformation. There's a book by John Donne called The Way of All the Earth, and there's an interesting quote here that at least gives us an aspect of this that, Hannah, maybe you could read for us, I think would be instructive. Hmm.
0: The night we could fancy is the darkness of being. The dawn is the kindling of the new light of consciousness. The laming is the defeat of man's consciousness, its failure to encompass his being. The blessing is the new scope which consciousness attains. The old name expresses man's old understanding of himself, the new name his new understanding. Man comes out of the encounter with God, lamed, blessed, and newly named. He walks in the light where before he walked in darkness, but he walks with a limp.
1: At last, I mean, I just love that last line. Mm -hmm. Um, Man comes out of the encounter with God, lamed, blessed, and newly named. So in these moments, At least what Dunn's arguing is that consciousness comes up against being. So how we think about that, the way human beings perceive themselves, the way that you and I think about ourselves is frequently misaligned with who we actually are. So failure and struggle and wrestling is often directly related to that mismatch. It's us coming to a realization of what's actually happening, not what we think is happening. So Dunn would portray this important dimension of transformation which talks about our behavior being directly tied up with our belief about ourselves. So if we can change the way we think about ourselves, it's a blessing. The encounter may leave a scar. The scar serves part of this new identity or this transformed self. So if we and this, you know, goes back to your question when you talked about authenticity, But I think by refusing to run away from our brokenness, our broken places in our lives, we seek a wholeness that we are seldom able to envision in advance. And so we see this in darkness now. We're going to see this play out with Israel in wilderness. Wilderness and darkness kind of become these two metaphors for that same kind of struggle. So wilderness or darkness is a place of purgation or purging. A place of loss, a place of trauma, a place of woundedness, but it's also a place of blessing. It can lead us with the hand of God, if we believe it's in love and for love, to the other side of the wilderness, to from Jacob to Israel, into the promised land, all that, you know, imagery of taking us to a much healthier place.
0: Hmm. Thank you for breaking down this um chapter for us and the benefit of wrestling. I know early on in the podcast you've mentioned uh, the book This Beautiful Truth by Sarah Clarkson. And I think this episode has reminded me of a quote from her where she talks about the real risk to faith is not to wrestle, how there's kind of an honesty Mm -hmm. to wrestling, which is crucial to our growth and development. So what we've seen today is kind of Jacob's journey and wrestling match will Become paradigmatic for Israel and for us, and we will go on to see Israel develop as a nation in a very similar fashion with their own wrestling. So I I love that phrase: "Authentic faith and religion will always have a limp," and we're going to see that as we progress throughout the narrative. But next episode, we will have a friend with us and Old Testament scholar T.J. Paresi, who will be introducing us to Joseph and walking us through that
1: narrative. Yeah, that'll be a great conversation. I'm looking forward to that one.
0: Me too. Well, thank you, everyone, and we will see you next week.
1: Thanks, Hannah. We'll see you in a week. Thank you for joining this Thread Conversation.
0: We're more than a podcast. Check out threadpodcast.org for more immersive content.
1: Though I'm waiting on here, I get a better view. Of this boundless world that I've